podcast one production. Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. I remember first hearing about Tiana Penatani when she was the whiz kid of Rugby Sevens, the youngest player, male or female, to represent Australia in Sevens or Fifteens at a World Cup. But I actually didn't meet Tiana until just over a year ago. And in 18 months, the former Sevens prodigy has really taken rugby league by storm, representing her state, her country, and as a standout in the NRLW for the St George Illawarra Dragons. Now, this is all against the backdrop of a life-changing injury and the heartbreaking loss of her father. What struck me the most, though, about Tiana was really her nature, her character. She was so warm, so friendly, articulate, just this really genuine soul, which made me think there's more to her story. And there was. Tiana is as strong and as resilient as you can get. She displays such strength and maturity and and warmth, which makes her not only a champion on the sporting field, but just one hell of a woman. Now, Tiana was obsessed with sport when she was growing up and she'd find any opportunity to get outside and have a run around. Mum tells stories about when I was in preschool and I used to, she used to drive the car really slowly next to me and I used to run to preschool and that was a couple of kilometres because I just, I was so full of beans. So yeah, I can um, confidently say that I've always been athletic. Um, Not excellent in some sports, but did my best and um, yeah, excelled in in a few others. I love that idea. I've got a very energetic <laughs> two and a half year old, so I might use that trick from from your mum. Would be yeah. really good. Well, I used to ask her too. So I, I look back now and I <laughs> I don't like long distance running at all. I don't have the attention span for it. But yeah, I don't know what um what got into me at the age of four. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Um, what were the sports that interested you the most? Um, I loved gymnastics growing up um but I got to a level um an elite level where they started asking for a lot more hours um than my mum was willing to commit for for a 12 11 12 Mm -hmm. year old so yeah I'd always had a passion for gym and then decided to to give that away and then took up um athletics and swimming netball touch football um I think I played a total of 17 or 18 sports um, wow. throughout my whole life. So yeah, sport was a, a big, big part of my life. And which ones were you best at and then chose? Because obviously you'd have conflicts. You don't have 17 days yeah. in a week. So no. what were the sports that you then branched out into? Well, I was lucky because a lot of the sports that I had loved worked well together in terms of seasons. So I had my summer sports and then I had my winter sports. But um, it was probably through my junior high school years that I, I needed to make a decision to commit to um, the likes of Oztag and touch football and athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I dropped a majority of the other sports that I was playing and just stuck to those sports and mm-hmm. netball through school as well. And then um, towards the back end of my school life, it was predominantly track and field. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you also played rugby when you were little. Was it rugby or rugby league that you rugby played league. when you were really little? Yeah. So I played rugby league when I was 11 um, and I played one season with La Perouse Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, with and the then boys? With the boys. Yeah, 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 with the boys. There were two other girls in my team that I went to school with as well. So we, in um, the South Sydney competition in our age group, we had the most amount of girls in our team. Um, well, and with three. Yeah, we three. Yeah, yeah, and we'd come across the odd odd team um, where they'd have one girl, and girls always sat out on the wing. Um, but proud to say that we scored all the tries. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I played a season with them, and then went 
once you get to the age of under 12s, you're not allowed to play with the boys anymore. Mm. Um, so I had to like step away from that sport. I loved the contact and I loved the physicality mm. behind it. So to go back to playing Oztag and touch was great to be able to play footy and to play a team sport, but was just always missing that extra physical element. At the age of 11 or 12, when they said you can't play anymore and you love that sport, you love playing with the boys, how did you, how did you feel when they told you that? Obviously, there was a little bit of disappointment as in, oh, I can't keep playing league anymore, mm. that sucks. Um, but in saying that, sometimes at the age of 11, there were some developed boys at, the age, at that stage <laughs> that would just run head on and you just close your eyes and hope for the best and just wrap them around the legs and try and get get them to ground. So, yeah, I completely understood, well, I thought I understood at that stage um, the reasonings why. Mm. Um, but, it, yeah, it just sucked that there wasn't another pathway for for young women to be able to follow um, in their own avenue. And then it was athletics that yeah. kind of took over for you. What yeah. What distance, what discipline yeah. did you run? Um, so I was predominantly a sprint hurdler. Um, my favourite events were the 90 and 100 hurdles, um, mm-hmm. the 100, the 200 and long jump. Yeah, and I, I represented New South Wales at the Australian Champs. I ran nationals all through my school life, um, won nationals a few times and um, was really pursuing a career um in athletics and it was when I was 17 in year 11 that the prospect of the Olympics then popped up with rugby sevens. I'd Mm. never heard of rugby sevens before. So I'd played um, half a season of 15s with a few friends Mm -hmm. that I met through netball and loved playing 15s, just being able to play physical rugby again Mm. and um, learning a new game and a new skill. And um, they'd always spoken about sevens and they'd said, Tay, you'd be great at sevens. Mm. You should give sevens a go. And I never really look too much into it until the Olympics popped up and that's um, where everything sort of began for me um, with my sevens career. What made you then choose, if you were so talented at athletics, what made you then choose rugby over athletics? Did you want to go to the Olympics? Yeah, Yeah, hands down. Wanted to go to the Olympics, had always wanted to go to the Olympics from a very young age. Um, That was the dream and especially being a track and field athlete. Mm. So the prospect of potentially going to an Olympic so close um, because at my age at 17, I... 16, 17, I probably wasn't looking at trying to make 2016 Olympics on the track. Mm. Um, it's really tough, especially in Australia um, and being in an individual sport as well. There's so much added pressure. So, yeah, just the enticement of potentially going to the Olympics in 2016 mm. in a team sport, in a new sport that's just been introduced to the Olympics. Um, it was all very enticing. Um, yeah, that was definitely the sole reason as to why I made the transition because I, I did love running on the track. And back in those days when you were playing 15s and then you transitioned into 7s, it wasn't really widely accepted that girls would be playing rugby. Yeah. What are your experiences of that time? Yeah, it's really interesting because the pathway that I came through was the through the schoolgirl pathway for 7s. Mm. Um, and I know that there wasn't a lot happening for the women's game in 15s. It was just by chance that I um, was playing netball with a few friends that were also playing rugby and needed a few more players to to come down and make up their numbers for club. And um, I was always one for giving another sport a go. I love sport that much. So <laughs> I was like, sure, love it. I've never played rugby before. So I'm keen to learn a new game and um, get amongst the, um, a, a women's team. I'd mm. never played solely women's rugby before. So Coming through the schoolgirls pathway, it was the inaugural schoolgirls championship. So there'd never been a pathway for schoolgirls. And I think that was really exciting for us. But yeah, there just wasn't much talk of female rugby Mm. and women's rugby. It was so male dominant and it was definitely new waters that we were kind of navigating coming through those pathways. 
Did you find yourself having to defend the women's game as one of the new rugby stars, up and, up and coming stars? Yeah, well, it's really interesting. This goes back maybe a couple of years after I'd started playing rugby, but I remember we were at the airport leaving for a tournament, um, mm. playing for the Australian Sevens team. Um, and we were lining up to check in and we had people asking us if we were an equestrian team or <laughs> if we were water polo players or just, and we were like, no, we're rugby players. And they just gave us this look and they were like, you don't look like rugby players. Yeah. We just kind of stood there and said, what do rugby players look like then if, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if um, we don't look like rugby players? So that was really eye-opening because being in the rugby world, our male counterparts and all of the staff treated us the same, you know, yeah. we were potentially... I'm going to qualify for an Olympic Games, rugby sevens. And being in the rugby world, it was so different. But being mm. in, you know, just with everyday people that didn't really know too much about female rugby um, was really, really interesting to see the opinion there. And that was more so the first encounter that I'd personally had where people were just kind of looked at us sideways and were like, <laughs> female rugby players, you're too skinny, you're too little, you're too pretty. I got that really often as well. You're too pretty to be playing a contact sport. <sighs> Watch me play and then make up your mind. <laughs> As a journo in that time, I'd have to lie to like our news directors just to do a women's rugby story. Yeah. I'd have to tell them it's, yeah, it's a touch football story. And yeah. Because I knew they'd love the story and, and love the people that I'm doing interviews on, but yeah. they had in their head this idea of what a rugby player a yeah. female rugby player would be like yeah. or look like or play like yep. as well. So, yeah, and that always came up. What <laughs> It's terrible what rugby players look like. Yeah. Um, your dad, he had a big influence, didn't he, on, yeah. on he was into rugby and rugby league as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. So um, from oh, as far back as I can remember, um, I used to watch him play rugby league and rugby union and it wasn't until his later years that he'd given up rugby union and just stuck predominantly with um, club rugby league, mm -hmm. which was really nice growing up as a little girl and being on the sidelines. And I remember there's a few friends that I um, that I still keep in contact with, but our dads used to play together. So we'd be sitting there in our little dresses and just with the mums <laughs> on the sideline, just watching dads play, play footy. And he represented Tonga um, mm. in rugby union as well. So for him to be across both codes was really special for me in my sevens career and, and now in my rugby league career, just to have that connection with him. That's very, very cool. Yeah. Um, take us back then to when you were 12. Mm. It's hard. Some some days I'm good with speaking about it and mm. other days I'm not. Um, <laughs> sorry, I always get okay. so emotional. Understandable. Um it's crazy to think that it's so long ago. It's going on 12 years this year. Um, um, yeah, I, I remember the day that um, that it happened. The morning of mum was, mum um, and dad used to always take my sister and I to Nippers. Well, they'd pack the whole family up and um, go down to the beach every Sunday morning. And I remember that morning um, my sister and I had slept in and we were, we woke up and we were like, where's mum, where's dad? Um, why weren't we ready? Why aren't we going to Nippers yet? And we noticed that there were a lot of people in our front yard, just family members in our front yard. Mm. We were just, we were so confused what was going on and um, couldn't find my mum and then saw my grandfather walk through the door and it was only about 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, and my grandfather lives, lives in Newcastle. So that was really surprising to see him come through the front door and, um, he went upstairs, which is where my mum was with my auntie and my uncle. Mm. Um, 
and I I knew I'm the oldest of four. Um, mm. I knew that something was wrong because Dad was never not home on a weekend um, and getting us ready for nippers. So when Mum came downstairs, um, she picked up my little sister who was one. So I've got two sisters and a brother. Um, she picked up my baby sister who was one and sat my sister, myself and my little brother on the lounge. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, and she, I could, I could see that she'd been crying. Um, and she just said, dad's been involved in an altercation. Um, and daddy's passed away and he's not coming home. Which was really, um, I don't know how to explain what that felt like. Um, I was 12 and I'm 24 now and Mm. I remember the feeling like it was yesterday. Um. And just to see my little sister and my little brother at the age of three, just so confused, like, where, where's he gone? What do you mm. mean? Um, what do you mean daddy's not coming home? That was the hardest, the hardest thing that my mum's ever had to do and that we've ever had to sit through. So, um, yeah, that completely turned our worlds upside down. Mm. Um, and I just, like, look, now that I've grown up and I look at my mum as a person, I just... She's the most incredible woman in the mm. world. She could have taken two, like, two paths. She could have gone, um, just given up and mm. just said, you know, I, this is too hard for me to for me to have to do, raise four kids on my own and you guys can fend for yourselves because I can't handle it or take the path that she did take and raise us to be strong, um, driven, motivated, mm. supported um, four kids. Yeah. Yeah, so... Out of that, I look at the influence that my mum's had on all of our lives and I look at how successful we are as a family. Um, and I, I measure success in what not only what we do um, but also how we are as people mm. um, and how strong we are and how resilient we are and how happy we are and mm. how, how much of a tight-knit family we are and I, I give full credit to my mum for that. But, yeah, that um, losing dad absolutely shaped who I am as a person mm. and... Um, who all of my siblings are as people and give full credit to my mum for it. Because, I mean, 12 years old, that's, yeah. was that, you 67? Um, I was, I just started year seven. That's yeah. such a turning point for yeah. any kid about to hit their teens. Yeah, exactly. What kind of impact then did that have? Um, it had a huge impact on me at the time. I just lost all motivation to play sport. I didn't, I didn't want to run anymore. I didn't want to play any team sports. I just felt really lethargic and just heartbroken. Mm. Um, we saw, my sister and I saw a psychologist for 18 months mm-hmm. um, just to help get through that grieving process and um, and to process what had, what had happened and, and how to move forward with our lives. But, yeah, for me, um, I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to play sport. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to be with my mum and with my family. And my mum nurtured me through that. Um, she didn't force me to play any sport and, um, I was in a selective um, stream at Rose Bay Secondary College um, mm-hmm. and because we lived in Maroubra, it was too hard for mum to be able like, to get me to school in Bondi, mm-hmm. get my sister to school in Maroubra and also have the kids Little in ones. daycare. Yeah, mm. it was just too hard for mum. So she pulled me out of um, Rose Bay Secondary College and then enrolled me at South Sydney High School in Maroubra, mm-hmm. which was our local my local school. Um, and I had so much support from them at school Um so lucky to have had all of that support just 
with helping me get through all of my schoolwork and some days I had really bad days and, and other days I was excelling at school. So it was really, it was a roller coaster for me mm. personally. Um, but yeah, it's, it had a big impact on the first few years mm. after it had happened. And it wasn't until year three or four um, after dad had passed that we started to find ourselves on the front foot again mm. um, and started to rebuild slowly in the right direction rather than just picking up the pieces and living day to day and week to week and just trying to figure out each week as it came rather than look look towards the future. I feel as though we'd started to really, I don't know, just progress really mm. nicely through um, through life and I'd got back into sport a couple of years later and um, things were on the up. Mm. Yeah. Because with your dad, take us through how that happened that he passed away and it was so sudden like it yeah. wasn't as though it was an illness that you could somewhat have any preparation for what's no, absolutely then it makes not. it any easier. I'll lose your dad anyway. No, absolutely not. So um, it was crazy. We had literally just gotten back from a family holiday in Fiji, literally that week. Mm. Um, and mum and dad ran a concreting company. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad was a concreter. And he'd, d- he'd just had his um, Tongan tribal sleeve completed so it was a friend of his was a tattoo artist and that night he had gone to finish off the tattoo and then he wanted to take a few of the boys that worked under him out Mm -hmm. for drinks just to celebrate how successful the business had been and Mm -hmm. he went he went out and I remember that morning mum was getting us kids ready in the morning and dad was going out to just oversee some stuff at work and then he was going to get his tattoo finished and he left and he said bye to mum and he gave her a kiss and then he went to walk out, out of the garage door and it was really, it was, I haven't told many people this story, but um, it was really weird that he was a little bit lost in that moment and I'm not sure whether he lost his keys or walked out of the garage door but then came back in and then came and gave mum another kiss to say goodbye and that was really odd mm. and I'd made a comment um, to my mum and I just flippantly just said to mum, mum, it's almost like you and dad like saying goodbye for the last time. Like why, you why do you have to that. kiss each other twice? Like that's so weird. Yeah. I said that to her and oh. it wasn't until weeks after he'd passed that she remembered. She said, oh, my gosh, Tiana, do you remember what you said to me the morning, that morning? Mm. Um, and that's always stuck with us. That was just really weird. Yeah. Just the whole energy that morning. Um, but, yeah, then then he walked out the door that morning and that was the last time that we saw him. Didn't even get to see the finished piece of his tattoo or um, anything like that. So really yeah really tragic and he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time mm. um I remember sitting through his criminal trial his um the court case with my mom and my grandfather mom didn't want me there but I begged her and begged her to let me be there next to her and um just it, I wasn't there for the whole duration of the trial yeah. but just to be there to support her and to be by her side um how old were you was, then I was 12 um sitting through my dad's murder trial which was it was confronting, but mm. um, I needed it. I felt as though I needed to be there and to see the other guy's face and just to know that my mum had my support and mm. I was there for her. Um, yeah, that was that was really hard and, and to watch the footage as well. My, my mum didn't let me watch all of the footage that was on screen from the CCTV cameras. But footage. Yeah, yeah. there's footage, yeah. That's um, she didn't let me watch all of it, but just for me to, to understand what, the story was and what mm. had happened as well, just for my own self to be able to process that and not always be sitting there wondering what happened because I was too young to know. Mm. 
that was, yeah, it, it was bittersweet almost. I had a little bit of closure to see what it had did happened. it help? At, yeah, little bits just for my for, just for myself rather than having to ask my mum and for my mum had, having to explain in detail what had happened. Mm. Um, I think it was really important for me, not so much for my younger sister, um, but yeah, just for me to be able to understand and, and piece a timeline together as to what happened and was he in the wrong place at the wrong time? Mm. Did he know um, the offender? No, he didn't. Didn't know him at all. Yeah, so it was tough. And he was um, he was shot as well. Mm-hmm. Was there justice at the end of that? At the end of that murder trial? Yeah, there was. The guy who did it um, was obviously found guilty of murder um, and was sentenced to twenty five years in mm-hmm. prison. Um, and I think it was 19 years without parole. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing for my mum, though, was just thinking of my little brother growing up and not wanting to grow up with hatred and and go looking for revenge or just just be full of hatred um, Mm. in that way. So, yes, for for him to to get that sentence was um, really positive for my family, even though no amount of time in prison is ever going to compensate for the loss um, that he caused. But, um, yeah, we've moved beyond that now and move past that. I can't imagine going through that. You've always struck me as such a mature person. Thank you. <laughs> Were you always like that or was it as a result of this incident and losing your dad just really forced you to grow up yeah. and look at life differently? Yeah, I um, I put it down to, to losing dad and in the circumstances that we lost dad so suddenly as well. So um, that's almost everyone that I meet says the same thing and especially when I was like at school and say, you're so mature, you're so well beyond your years and rah, rah, rah. But, yeah, I was forced to grow up at the age of 12. I was mum's Mm. right-hand woman and Mm. um, did my best to help mum in any way that I could Mm. and, yeah, almost raised the other three with her. Yeah. Um, And it's funny, I I look at my little siblings like they're my own little children, um, especially like the two younger ones. Yeah. Yeah, so my my sister who's under me, we're like best friends. Mm. Um, We're so close and... My little brother and my um, baby sister are definitely like my my two little kids. <laughs> <laughs> I treat them like they are and, and they look up to me more like a second mum than a big sister that they would probably argue and fight with. It's, it's not that kind mm-hmm. of relationship. You said that you lost your love of sport and you just, from someone who's so passionate about mm-hmm. the game, how did you rediscover that love? How long did it take and, and how did you go about that? It's really hard for me to to think that far back because after dad had passed, there was a period of time, whether it was 18 months to two years, where everything just went numb and mm. we forget a lot of what had happened 12 to 24 months after he'd passed mm. um, just because it was the process of grieving as well. Um, that's a, It's a really common thing to just go numb and just mm. to, to blank out and completely forget what had happened. So for me, it's hard to kind of remember why I lost the love for it, but I think it was just that, like, your family had just been broken mm. pretty much. Um, a massive part of me and a massive part of my family had just been torn from us um, and sport wasn't the last thing in my mind. Mm. You know, you've, to be able to play competitive sport and to participate in competitive sport, you've got to be motivated, you've got to be driven, you've got to be excited and I lost all of that mm. um, and that was 100% due to the fact that I just lost my dad. Mm. How did you find that love again? Yeah, it's um, a good question. I think as we as we started to pick things up and um, we're doing well at school and mum had us in a really good routine, um, I think that's when I 
started to play a little bit of sport back at school again and I I, I missed it. I missed being on the track and mm. um, I came out of like the the dark hole that I felt like I was in and um, could kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel again and I eventually missed playing sport. It was such a big, um, played such a big role in my life leading up until that point and um, I knew eventually I would get back into playing sport um, but I just went through a period where I didn't want to bar of it. <laughs> Your mum, you've talked about her and just how incredible a woman she is mm. and overnight becoming a single mum mm-hmm. with four kids but not giving up and yeah. just raising four incredible kids. Did she play some kind of role and what kind of role has she then played yeah. in your sporting career? She's played a massive role. Um, people often ask me um, just as a sp- a sporting person, like who's your, who's your idol? Um, and I don't really refer to um, other athletes as being my idol. It's definitely my mum. She's mm. she played such she has and and still does play such a crucial role in my life. And it, it was definitely her that had um, pushed me to to get back into into playing sport and um, to be excelling in in my academics at school again. And it was it was just her outlook on life. And she's such a tough woman, and she's been through so much <laughs> in life that. She just, she, I remember she said to my sister and I when we were younger, do you want to be a victim your whole life? Do you want to hold out the victim card and sit there feeling sorry for yourself? Or do you want to reach your full potential? And do you want to be successful? And do you want to pursue your dreams? And just gave us that whole chat. And that was a big turning point. And it just still rings in my ears. Just do you want to be a victim? You can hold out the victim card and you can feel sorry for yourself, or you can go the complete opposite direction and you can use what's happened to you as a springboard to mm. spring you into success. You're resilient. Your kids have learned some life skills at really a really young age mm. um, that most adults don't learn until later on in life um, and you can use that to your advantage. And that's, yeah, in a nutshell, that's basically how she raised us um, with tough love most of the time. <laughs> um, and you have to. You're, she's, you're raising four hard-headed, um, strong-willed children on your own. Um, but we definitely get that from her. So yeah, she's she's had a massive um, influence in my life and still does to this day. You represented Australia for Rugby Sevens mm-hmm. when you were 17. You were the youngest person to represent Australia in a senior rugby team. How mm-hmm. did you handle the pressure that came with that? Yeah, it was tough at the time, especially um, with how quickly things had happened for me. So just to give you a quick rundown of mm. how it happened, um, as I said previously, I came through the schoolgirls pathway. So there was a New South Wales team selected to compete um, at the inaugural Australian Schoolgirls Championships. Mm-hmm. And then it was then um, that a handful of girls that the the Australian coaches had selected were invited to play at the Youth Olympic Festival in mm-hmm. 2014. Actually, no. I think it was 2013. And then off the back of that, there were another select few that were then invited to train with the Open Women's Squad. Um, And I went to my first camp on the Gold Coast um, just looking to gain an abundance of experience and just completely starstruck. There was the the men's sevens team and the women's sevens team and Mm -hmm. we were just like, we'd researched these players and we'd followed (laughs) these players and we're like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy that we're training alongside them. Mm -hmm. They're so fit, they're so athletic. There were a couple of big injuries in the team. Mm. Um, One of the girls, I can't remember what one of the injuries were, but um, another one of the girls had torn her ACL in camp and they were preparing to go over to China and Hong Kong to compete on the World Series. And obviously the the Sevens World Cup was later on in the year. So mm. they were looking at finalising their squads for the for the World Cup. 
Um, and the head coach had pulled me aside and had said to me, Tiana, I want to just want to have a quick chat with you. What would your what would you think of potentially debuting for Australia in a couple of weeks? And I was just my jaw just dropped to the ground, and I was like, Oh, <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> he was like, Yeah, absolutely. We want we want you to tour a tour with us, and um, we think you're the perfect candidate. And you know, really impressed with how your year's gone and everything a coach says when mm. they're about to hand you your debut. So um, I was over the moon completely wrapped so mm. excited um but from that point it was just gung-ho throughout the year so went over and competed made my debut had competed um in London and Amsterdam also um later on that year and then had the World Cup which was really exciting for mm. me my teammates didn't treat me like I was a 17 year old and the opposition certainly didn't treat me like I was a 17 year old they didn't <laughs> go easy lightly so yeah there was a little bit of weight on my shoulders being the youngest um, and I suffered a big injury at the sevens world cup as well um, which was really tough for me to um, to be able to swallow at the age of scoring 17. six tries in the tournament <laughs> I'll just say that and then that injury but yeah your first yeah. major injury yeah yeah first major injury there so a lot had happened in that year um and I tore my ACL completely ruptured my ACL at the sevens world cup um that was shattering for us because that was in the quarterfinal um and that was in the first half of the quarterfinal and then we lost that quarterfinal to be knocked mm. out of the world cup so yeah that was a really tough tournament um bittersweet to be playing there and to be the youngest player there was so exciting for me and then off the back of that suffered a massive injury mm. that took me out of the game for 13 months. So 2016, the Rio Olympics, that was what everyone dreamt of. Mm-hmm. That was what, you know, rugby sevens was going to make its debut. Women's rugby was going to be on such an incredible stage, mm-hmm. a global stage to really put women in the game in the spotlight. Yeah. How big a moment was that going to be for you being involved in the game and the lead up to that? Yeah. Well, through my whole sporting life, um, I'd aspire to eventually one day go to an Olympic Games. So um, the sole decision as to why I made the transition over to Rugby Sevens from the track was to potentially get a shot at that a little bit earlier than what I maybe would have on the track. So I'd based, all of us had based our whole Sevens career around getting to the Olympics Mm. and all of us were fighting for a position to be in that 12 to go to the Olympics. So yeah, the preparation was intense. It was really hard. There were a lot of sacrifices that were made um, for some of the senior players having to leave their full-time jobs, take a big pay cut to be able to be centralised and move interstate um, to be based in Sydney. And then Mm. there was young schoolgirls like me that were, you know, given an opportunity fresh out of school, missed that whole transition period of, you know, going to uni full time and potentially having a gap year and going and, Mm. you know, experiencing a bit of the world and and growing up in that sense. So it was just, yeah, it was full steam ahead for for a few years leading into the 2016 Rio Olympics. Um, And then for me, it was tragic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just struggling with injury. And um, I was supposed to be traveling over as the first reserve at the Rio Olympics. And we'd been in heat camp up in Darwin and we've been preparing and preparing and I was struggling with um, a niggly injury. I had, after my second ACL reconstruction, I <laughs> had a little bit of cut, loose cartilage that was floating around in my knee mm. and because it was so close to the Olympics, it was about a six to eight week recovery time, they didn't want to go straight in um, and take the piece of cartilage out um, because it would have left me no time to get my fitness back up. Mm. Yeah, I would have been fresh out of rehab straight into the, to Rio and they just 
couldn't take that risk. So um, it is an injury sometimes that you can manage. Mm. So we did try and manage it um, all the way up leading into um, the week before the team was scheduled to leave, which was about two and a half weeks before competition. And the doctor needed to make a call. So I had my last medical um, and I just walked in there crying because I knew I knew what the answer mm. was going to be. Did all of my tests. And at that point, my capabilities were just mm. going downhill. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't even run. I could barely even bend my knee at that point, mm. um, just trying to manage that injury. So I went in and saw the doc and he just looked at me and he said, I'm so sorry, but you know what the answer is. Um, you're not going to make it. And I just, yeah, I was in tears. I was heartbroken. Um, it was really, really hard pill to swallow. Um, the fact that you just made so much sacrifice and worked so hard, especially behind the scenes. You know, mm. you've got to do all those little extra things, you know, icing after training and doing extra stretch sessions and um, extra skill sessions. You know, we'd really ramped up training a year leading into the Olympics. So, yeah, to, to be a part of that and then to have that cut short so abruptly was just shattering for me. Yeah, mm. I was only 20 at the time. Um it was really, really hard for me to get my head around the fact that all of that hard work kind of, it meant nothing. How did you cope? Because, I mean, you you were a star of the team. You were like the team sensation. <laughs> there was yeah. always a media around Tiana. So much expectation and everything mm. you've worked for, like you said. Mm. How then did you cope with that disappointment? Um, I, I really struggled, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um I just, I, I felt like I lost a sense of purpose mm. um, and as a personality trait, naturally, I'm, I can be really harsh on myself and a really hard internal critic mm. and I've done a lot of work um, just with mindfulness and um, speaking to sports psychologists mm. on just loosening those reins um, and, I, and I, you know, most professional athletes can probably say the same mm. thing, that they're really hard on themselves, um, sometimes to a point where it's not healthy. Mm. Um, and, you know, to place yourself under so much, such high expectations and then to not achieve them and to fall short the way I did. Um, I didn't really prepare myself for what was to come afterwards. After the you fact. don't though, do no, you? Because no. that's like almost having a plan B and exactly you only want right. plan A, right? Exactly right. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's how I looked at things. I'm not going to prepare myself for that because I'm going. I'm going yeah. to the Olympics. We're going to win gold. And that's the mindset that you've got to be in. Mm-hmm. After that, I asked my head coach just for some extra time off. Mm-hmm. Um, I just needed some some extra time away. Yeah, I reached a really low point, um, not to delve too far into it, but um, I was diagnosed with severe depression and um, and anxiety and worked really closely with um, a psychologist outside of um, sports psychology, Mm -hmm. psychology, so just a clinical psychologist just to help me get through that that period. And I think what made it really hard for me to deal with was the fact that my family were living in Queensland. So I was living in Sydney by myself and Mm. just really struggled to, to deal with that and to process it all. And came out of came out of that and played another season with sevens, and it was throughout that twelve months and that season that I'd lost a little bit of motivation to be there and to be mm. able to maintain such a high level and such intensity. It's so physically and mentally taxing mm. on the body. Sevens, the game of sevens is such an intense sport, um, and to be able to maintain that with the best in the game is really difficult. And you've got to be be able to switch on and be there and be present mm. um, and put 150% into everything mm. every day. And I just felt like I wasn't there anymore. Pre-Olympics, there were days where I'd go to training and I was ready to smash goals and smash PBs and just wanted to get fitter, faster, stronger and had that mindset. And then it was during the 12 months after the Olympics that I'd 
I felt like I'd fallen off the wheel a little bit and mm. I just didn't want to be there for the same reasons. And some days I really struggled to get out of bed to go to training. And mm. the fact that I was in that that headspace and I didn't care um, mm. and there was just that I was I felt like I was absent um, mentally. I just, yeah, that was a really big decision for me to have to make. But I came to the decision 12 months later um, after that season and stayed in Europe after our last leg in France. In the World Series. In the World Series, yeah. Mm. So, so played our last tournament in France and stayed over there with um, a couple of really good friends in the team and, yeah, had a really long, hard think about what I wanted to do. And then when I came back um, from Europe and um, the girls were ready to go back into pre-season, I um, organised a meeting with my head coach and, um, had asked for a release from my contract um, and resigned from, from the sport altogether. Who did you lean on for support when you had to make such a massive decision yeah. like that? My fiancé and my mum, mm. so um, my partner Aaron and um, my family. I went back up to the sunny coast and spent a few weeks up there just with them to switch off from the rest of the world and try and process the decision that I'd made. Mm. I knew it was the right decision at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, my mum and my family and my partner were a really big support throughout that period. When the Olympics were on, did you have any inkling that that was the decision that you were going to make 12 months later? No, not not during the Olympic Games. Mm. Um, I I was actually in the mindset I was trying to stay positive. Um, It was bittersweet because I was so over the moon for the girls that were over there um, and that had won gold in Rio. And I was doing a lot of media coverage back here with um, mm-hmm. Fox Sports. Um, so I was still somewhat involved um, throughout that whole two and a half weeks. And I was trying to tell myself that you're so young, you know, you're only 20, you've got the next Olympics, you'll be 24. And that's what everyone would that's have been what, telling yeah, you Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it wasn't the end of the world. But once um, everything had settled after the Olympics, that's when that's when I'd, I'd kind of fallen into a bit of a rut and um, that it was a, f- a couple of weeks or a few months later that I'd started to have those thoughts of, is this what I really want to do? Can mm. I go through it again for another four years? Do I want to stay in the sport? Do I love the sport like I used to? Do I want to be here for the same reasons that I, that I once did? And I wasn't sure whether it was just me feeling a little bit sorry for myself or whether it was genuinely me me like transitioning and wanting and wanting out yeah um that's why I stuck stuck it out for another season and it was at the back of that season that I was 100% set on the decision that I made because it was all working up towards that point where the women and the men and rugby was going to be played at the Olympics for the first time Mm. 2016 was just such a big year for the game for sevens yeah and you you described it as bittersweet Mm -hmm. watching that final where were you when you watched the girls win gold because I know you want to say it was bittersweet and I want to support the girls. <laughs> it would have been crushing as well, yeah. Tiana. Yeah, yeah, it was. Look, it was. I was over the moon for them. Um, I know how hard all of us as a squad had mm. worked to reach that goal. And we obviously had chats throughout the year saying, you know, not everyone in this room is going to be mm. there on the field and to be able to put a gold medal around their neck when we do win the gold medal. Um, so we'd all been prepared for that, um, whether it was going to be me there or me not there, um, I tried to mentally prepare myself for that. But just under the circumstances that they were, like not even to be able to travel over there as a reserve um, and just to be there in Rio and mm. to be among the atmosphere was just really hard hard for me to be back at home. I remember I was in the car on the way to Fox Sports because I had um, I had a little bit of work to do with them just after the girls had won. So I was driving and I had 
the live stream on my phone and I was just, I had it connected to my Bluetooth. So I was just listening and I was over the moon. But but like I said, to not be over there and to be able to just celebrate with the team. Mm. Um, yeah, it was really tough. It was tough for me, but I tried to distract myself with all of the media hype uh, like after sure. it. Yeah. And then once that all died down, that's when I, I kind of hit rock bottom. You took 18 months off playing rugby. Mm-hmm. Did you miss it in that time? Um, I missed living the dream job my whole life. I'd wanted to be a professional athlete and I had the dream job for five and a half years. And Every day we'd, I'd used to just wake up and pinch myself and I'd all of my friends that were working normal jobs or studying at uni were like, oh, my gosh, you live the dream. You just get to keep fit and run around in the sun and play footy for a living. And, I make um, it sound so easy. And they do make it sound easy. And I, I don't worry, I, I did touch them up on it. I'd be like, hey, guys, it's actually really, really hard. Um, but, no, I, I was definitely appreciative of the fact that um, I had an opportunity to be able to live that full time and to be a professional athlete. So I, I miss that as- aspect of it. But... In saying that, I didn't. Mm. I, I just missed the lifestyle, but I was at a point where I was so emotionally and mentally fatigued um, mm. that I just needed a break from from it altogether, um, going from full-time and full-time training and just living and breathing rugby. Yeah, I, I made the decision that I did for a reason and it was a I'm an, a massive overthinker, so it was a very, <laughs> very long 12 months that I'd thought about it um, and I was – just really happy to get some normalcy back in my life and mm. just go and work, work a normal job and just pursue my studies part-time and um, be able to just, just appreciate the little things that I didn't really have while I was a professional athlete, even just to go out on the weekend and just go and have drinks with the girls, just those little <laughs> things, you know, um, that most people wouldn't really think about. So how did you then come to be playing NRL and how did you know that you were ready to get back into it? Yeah, well, I... um my fiance was with the Cronulla Sharks and we'd watched the the first season of the the WNRL and watched the origin and just to see the hype around that and how much support mm. the NRL and the media had just pushed into promoting that and that was really the first time that I'd noticed rugby league again even and though your fiance played it, for no the sharks. no no but yeah <laughs> no yeah yeah I was his supporter for forever but that, <laughs> that's completely different um more so for the women just to see mm. how exciting the women's game looked and um to see just the level of football that they were playing and just to see the way it was broadcasted and that's probably what triggered a little something in me yeah. and um I remember I'd spoken to him about it and I was like I'm not sure what I want to do whether I want to start rugby league potentially or just get back into playing competitive tag and mm. of which I did um mm-hmm. but playing Oztag something and then playing rugby league or rugby union something else just yeah well-rounded, like you've got the physicality and you've yeah. got um, just the intensity of the game. It's, I, I don't know, I just, I get so much more out of playing a, a physical sport. Your face is just lit yeah. up just talking about, <laughs> talking about the yeah. physicality of it. And and just, yeah, I just love it. There's just so much at, at risk and I don't know why. I just love that. You just get so much <laughs> adrenaline out of it. Um, but, yeah, I remember I'd spoken to him and I was kind of umming and ahhing and I was like, oh, he's a weird that you're playing rugby league and if I start playing rugby league, I had that, mm. yeah, I, I had that in my mind. He was the complete opposite. He was like, don't be stupid. Like, <laughs> don't let that be the reason why you don't want to play because you don't want to kind of step into my bubble. He's like, I'm completely one, 110% supportive of whatever decision you want to make. He said, I'd, I'd, to be honest, I loved watching you play sevens and I'd love for you to get back into it, but it's oh, got to cool. be a decision coming from you. So it was his off season that um, we had a, a farewell party for a couple of his teammates that were um, going over to the UK 
and I'd run into a couple of girls that I played um, touch footy with at school and they were playing for the Cronulla Sharks and got chatting to them and they were like, T, what are you, what are you doing? You're playing footy? Or I said to them, no, I'm not, but I'm, I think I'm, you know, getting a bit antsy and I, I want to get back into it. And I don't know which, I don't know where to go or which avenue to take. And they were just straight away jumped on it. They were just like, come and play for the Sharks. We're about to start pre-season. Um, I'll put your name down for um, just an expression of interest. Yeah, it all just went from there. I went to the first um, trial day or training day, which was where we had testing and everything. Mm-hmm. And just loved the club culture, um, loved the coach, loved the playing group and did a full pre-season with them. And then that led me to my season in 2019. And yeah, the rest is history. It was such a Big year for it me. Was a so yeah, year. yeah, but I haven't looked back. It was the best decision I made to, um, yeah, to start playing rugby league. I was definitely looking for another challenge at that point, and found rugby league, and yeah, I'm I'm so happy with the decision that I've made. We talk about that rapid rise in NRL, and given your rugby sevens background, it's no surprise. But for those who don't know, you played, of course, the NRLW with the Dragons. You made your state of origin debut for the Blues and then you won the women's state of origin as well um, and then selected for the Gillaroos and then you're pulling on the green and gold for yet another sport, the third sport after athletics, rugby sevens, and then now rugby league. Would you say it has helped you reignite your love for for footy, for elite sport, for all of that as well now? Have you definitely closed the door to rugby? Yeah, yeah, I have. I'm so happy with the decision that I made to play rugby league. I didn't know that I would like it as much as I have. As I've said, I I just wanted to get back into playing competitive Mm -hmm. footy and I almost expected it to be really similar to what rugby union was um, and what I'd experienced playing sevens. But just with how different the just the people in the game are just really, Mm -hmm. really different and they do things differently and going into team camps, it's all different to what I'd experience. And I don't know how to explain how, um, why it's different, but it just feels different. And mm. maybe it's because I'm new to the game and um, I've stepped into an environment that I'm not used to being a part of. And um, yeah, it, it definitely has ignited something in me at once again. And I'm just, I'm really grateful for the fact that I've, that I found rugby league and that it's ignited a passion that I thought I once lost for football. And I'm just really excited to see what the future holds for me in rugby league. And how have you found the support for women's rugby league different from the support for women's rugby sevens? Yeah, well, I guess we were the trailblazers when I was play, um, playing mm, rugby sevens. 100%. So the, the early years of sevens, we struggled to gain a lot of support. We had the support from the AOU and mm. um, media outlets like Fox Sports um, were doing their best for us. But, yeah, to gain that 100% support into pushing us to become full-time athletes was really tough but I, I feel as though the support that I've felt um so far from the NRL and from the media that support um women's NRL is um has been amazing. NRLW has only been going since 2018 mm-hmm. so you are still a trailblazer yeah. within the NRL and the professional setup but what kind of impact do you see that having on little girls? Um, and little boys yeah, as well. Yeah, I was just about to, to touch on that. Mm. So particularly for me last year, um, I was taken aback by the amount of support at the Origin game, mm. so at North Sydney Oval. So we had a standalone Origin match. Um, and just to see the amount of little girls running around in their favourite jerseys and just going absolutely nuts at the fact that we were there mm. um, and that they were there to watch us. and But also the amount of 
little boys that they were as well, um, yeah. you know, asking for autographs and the same, same with the test later on in the year. Um, we did the lap around um, Wynn Stadium and just to have these little, like these young boys, like some of them were the same age as my brother and my little sister and to have them looking up to us as mm-hmm. players and not only our male counterparts but um, us too was just, it was so special to see and I think moving forward I feel really privileged to be in a position um, to be a role model for for the next gen and that's definitely something that we as players always have at the forefront of our minds is everything we do now and all of the work that we do now is going to benefit them and I mm. think that's so satisfying just to think about that. We might not have everything um, at the moment and we might not be completely professional at the moment but everything that we're doing is to take a step in that direction to, you know, pave a pathway for those younger players coming through that will eventually have the opportunities that we have and more. I love it with the little boys as well because they don't see yeah. a male athlete or a female athlete. They just see an they, elite yeah. athlete and I think that's, yeah, there's going to be ripples and that's we're going to see that in future generations mm-hmm. and the effect of that later on as well. And you're at the heart of it now, yeah. Tiana. We finish off by asking our guests, what advice, given everything you've been through, what advice would you give that 10-year-old self, which in your case is a very interesting time mm. to be giving advice to yourself before everything changes? Yeah. Um, I think just to keep it plain and simple for me, the advice that I give to to my 10-year-old self would just be to not lose the love for what you do. And when you do, it's okay. And don't be mm. so hard on yourself and just shoot for the moon because you've got so much talent um, and so many capabilities that whatever you put your mind to, you'll be successful at. So dream big. Yeah. Dream big. You're living big as well. Tiana, thank you so much for coming on Her Game and thank you so much for sharing your story with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app, or search On Her Game podcast.